Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We have an awesome show for you this week. We're going to talk about time on track with the BMW M3 CS. A little bit of time on the road as well. The Mazda CX-90, that's a very nice three-row crossover with the straight six. Gives it a different vibe. The Alfa Romeo Stelvio and the 7 Series plug-in hybrid. We'll fly over some news in LA. That's the new Camry, the Crown, Signia, and some stuff out of Hyundai. Uh, it's a big show for uh, for us this week. It is the week of the LA Auto Show, so some of these things we're going to touch on. We'll come back next week and hit on those, you know, maybe a little bit of a deeper dive and some of the other things that have uh, shaken out. Please send us your spend my monies. That's podcast at autoblog.com. With that, let's bring in road test editor Zach Palmer. How are you? I am doing swell. Uh, I'm pretty pumped to talk about uh, some of these BMWs here. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It is super sunny all of a sudden. Uh, we're like a week out from Thanksgiving. It's uh, it's that time of year, if you will. It is. Uh, I think, well, most of my leaves are have, have fallen at this point. Yard is looking pretty, uh, pretty messed up. So yeah. that is classic Michigan fall right there. My leaves have fallen, but they have not been raked up. Uh, some of them have, Same. but uh, I try to do it in like sort of two different batches. One like kind of early to mid fall, and then that kind of like right around Thanksgiving. You got to do it because it's getting embarrassing. Rake those leaves, and we've reached that point. So maybe even tonight. It's just the days are so short now <laughs> that you know it's. It's tough, you know. You're done with work, and then it's dark out. Very true. It's uh, the classic, classic Michigan Midwest winter already. Feels like we're it's cold. We're edging in on it. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about the M3 CS. This is the competition sport. Uh, we both drove it here in Michigan, but you got to drive it on the track at BMW Test Fest. So uh, I'm very curious what you think. What was it like on the track? Yeah, man. This. Uh... You know, this this was honestly a bit of a dream to drive on track. Uh, I I drove it on road just like you did uh, a few weeks to about a month ago. Uh, so I was I was already expecting it to be extremely extremely good on the track. Uh, you, you could very much tell from driving it on the road that you know this this is a vehicle that you need to have on track to really mm -hmm. fully understand uh, the full capabilities of it. So. One of the things that makes it so so great and special on track is the fact that the CS is all-wheel drive, uh, unlike the M4 CSL. Uh, I know that a lot of people will probably be making comparisons between that CSL and the CS. Uh, BMW's all-wheel drive systems in their M3 and M4 are fantastic. They are they're very performance-driven. They're very heavily rear-biased, uh, but they do a spectacular job on track of A, making your life easier, uh, by not having uh, 540 horsepower directly to the rear wheels, and B, just flat out making you faster around the track. Um, the track that we were on was the BMW Performance Center down in uh, Spartanburg, uh, South Carolina. So it was pretty much a tailor-made track for, for BMWs. BMW actually uses that, that track to, uh, to teach people at, at the Performance Center and whatnot various number of turns it's sort of like a training track so you got wide sweepers really really tight hairpins any corner that you could sort of imagine and a bunch of elevation change too uh it's somewhat of a challenging track technically uh but this m3 cs honestly uh made it look a bit like child's play wow. like it's uh 
to say that I was having fun would be a bit of an understatement. The amount of power, I mean, obviously BMW rates this thing around like 540 horsepower. Uh, it feels like more than that. Um, I mean, so it, it, it also has the eight speed automatic. When you're full throttle uh, on the straight, maybe with any amount of like small, small steering lock as you're going around a bend and it slams third to fourth gear, the amount of torque that this have, that this thing has will literally light the rear tires up and cause you to skip sideways. Uh, it's, it's a seriously, seriously powerful machine. Um, and the way that it just keeps grabbing gear after gear, super, super fast gear changes. Um, you better know that you're getting into something very, very fast. Um, and then the grip levels too. So this thing has the Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 2Rs on it. So that's even more extreme than just the regular Cup 2s. Uh, the Rs are basically almost a, an R compound track ready tire. Uh, not great for the road. You don't want to be driving this thing around in too much water or anything like that, especially not cold weather. Uh, but it was a nice balmy 80 degrees out there. And uh, yeah, the amount of grip that this thing has around corners. Uh, we had several other cars out there on, on track to the M2 and the uh, i5 M60. And the way that the M3CS would be able to go through corners versus those other cars was almost otherworldly and uh, that you just felt like you had an unlimited amount of grip. Um, and that just is sort of compounded by the fact that you have the all-wheel drive system that will yank you out of the corner as soon as you're there. Uh, and the rear biasness, uh, you can throw it into that MDM mode, which sort of relaxes stability and traction control. Get a nice, you know, flip of the rear on, on every tight corner exit, helping you go just steer with the throttle. Uh, I was honestly just laughing to myself uh, after like a lap or two at how, how fun and, and just how super capable it was around the track. Um, I know that I mentioned to you earlier in the week that like there's only like one car that I've had more fun on, on, on track in my career doing this. And we all drive a lot of cars on track and that was the NSX type S. Okay. Um, but this, this, this M3 CS, like if, if I was looking for like a car, like I, I owned a garage or something at some fancy track, some like thermal club or M1 here in yeah. Michigan, uh, I would highly consider putting this thing into my garage. Uh, it is that fun and that good around the track. Uh, and that's, that's really where, where this thing belongs. So yeah, top marks. <laughs> it's interesting. I, you know, driving it around just the suburbs here, I, um, I thought it was a reasonable daily driver, but I just kept thinking you have so many tools at your disposal, like the M sport diff, you know, like even the Alcantara, like grip steering wheel, like the huge Brembo brakes, which are bronze, I believe, they're all really where like to take this car to its natural habitat, which is the track. Like, can you have a hell of a lot of fun driving around like, you know, the suburbs? Sure you can, but to really make the most out of this car. Uh, and if you're gonna spend $132,600 and some change, you wanna have access to a track. Like you wanna be like a thermal, or M1 or Monticello member, you know, like you wanna, you know, have that type of access to really enjoy a car like this because like it's pretty righteous just rolling around town with that, uh, you know, the inline six with the BMW twin power, it's awesome. But just the experience you had really sounds like you were able to get the most out of it. So, yeah. You can, and it, but to your point on the street, like it's actually kind of a sweetheart to drive around it on can the street be, too. Yeah. 
like it, it, it wasn't, you know, like it's going to bite your head off or anything like that. Um, the CSL is, is definitely more extreme, yeah. stiffer. The transmission shifts a little, uh, just harsher. And uh, it's a lot noisier on, on the inside because they take even more sound deadening out. You know, there's no rear seats in that car. The CS though, like you can drive it, you know, hundreds of miles to whatever track you want to. The suspension is soft enough that, you know, you, you're not going to hate yourself by the time you get there. You can bring a buddy in the back seat. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and it's all wheel drive. So it, it, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could drive it through winter and throw some winter tires on mm -hmm. it. So it is... A little low you know, to the it, ground, it's, but you know, it maybe a little low to yeah. the ground, you know, maybe like light winter. If there's more than like four inches on the ground, maybe, maybe leave it at home. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 really a fantastic do it all sports car and track car, honestly, too, because yeah. this, this thing was very clearly dialed in, uh, on the racetrack. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, like you said, I, I took it to a doctor or dentist appointment. I took it golfing. Like, you can live with it and have a lot of fun. So it's it can be sort of, in some ways, the best of both worlds. Um, you know, I by the time this drops, I have a five thoughts on the M3CS coming up with some pictures from you, by the way. Kudos to that. Those pictures look great of the car we had here in Michigan. And then we'll have a, a track test from... Uh, you, Zach, listeners, uh, coming later probably in the month or in early December or something. So uh, you kind of get to see it on road and track from both of our vantage points. Uh, I actually, it's not often that this kind of lines up this way. I guess it was a bit serendipitous. Um, we also had the M, uh, the MC20, the Maserati uh, supercar the same week, and I drove them back to back. And there were multiple ways, including, I'd like to hear what you think, the engine, where I actually thought the BMW was slightly ahead. Both were great cars. And of course, the Maserati was more powerful. But, and it's a, you know, the engine is literally mounted like behind your ears in the Maserati. But I don't know. I found the BMW 6 to be a little more characterful to just, I thought it sounded a little better. And... Um, I don't know. In some ways, it felt like it, this is. We talked about this last week. I loved the Maserati MC20. I thought it was awesome, but there were just some elements about the uh, the M3 that I I thought it was a better version of itself in fulfilling its mission than the MC20. You know, it just it was kind of an interesting scenario for me to drive them back to back. Like I literally dropped the Maserati off. For you and Amr, our video producer at uh, a park, and then drove the M3 home. So, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, especially if you're looking for like a track sort of weapon, you don't have to spend 200 or 300. You can spend 132, which uh, I also kind of wrote this. It's sort of the cost of entry. You know, if you want something that's going to have this much stuff on it, you kind of got to pay for it. Outside of a few very notable bargains like the Corvette Stingray comes to mind. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you drove the back-to-back -to -back too. How would you frame that up? That was a pretty good week in the Autoblog fleet. It wasn't bad, no. It wasn't it's terrible. It was a bad week. didn't suck, right? It was okay. <laughs> oh, man. No, that's, you know, it's it's a really interesting question because I was, I mean, obviously driving the back-to-back, -back, I, was, I was thinking in the same way. Um, I... 
I think that I definitely like the sound of the MC20s better. Okay. Um, however, at, at times, you know, it, it really almost felt like the BMW's engine was a little stronger, um, okay. like throughout the rev range. Uh, Maserati's feels really good with that, with that low hit of torque down low, and then it really keeps going to 8,000. But BMW, um, I mean, at this point, I'm fairly certain even, even BMW folks have, have alluded to the fact that their engines are like severely underrated from, yeah. from power. So <laughs> while they say it makes 543 horsepower, yeah, yeah I don't know about that. It feels like there's there's a good amount more horsepower than than what that is, and that just made the M3CS feel so stinking fast. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, man, on on a track, it w- it would really be interesting because that the CS is is very single minded. Uh, being good on a track, whereas MC20 is sort of your everyday supercar. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's it a can good go point. on the track, but you know, it's not like a McLaren LT or Ferrari Pista or something along those lines. Um, if you're more of a hardcore track rat, I honestly might go M3CS um, over over the MC20 if you're just looking for yeah. a track car. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but. I man, I really, really love that M3. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a hot take because we're not. However, this sounds, we're not dissing the MC20. The MC20 was no. awesome. Um, it's sort of like the same way. I would, like, I would definitely take the M3CS over the Acura NSX. And I didn't drive the Type S on a track. I only drove the regular NSX. Is what I'm trying to say too. So, you know, there's that. But I mean, to me, like there are certain like super sharpest tip of the sword, like sedans or coupes that I think are even a little bit better because of the way they are so equipped than some supercars. Um, you know, I don't know. I would take this over some McLarens, I would say, too, actually. Um, yeah. But I also would take the Maserati over some McLarens, too. I, I also really liked, you know, what it did. So, yeah. Same. I think that, I mean, just within the M3, M4 realm too, I think that this M3CS is my new, my new favorite variant okay. of, of them all. So yeah, all right. <laughs> expensive, but extremely good. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on. We have, uh, let's see, we have the, I don't know how we fade to this, the Mazda CX-90, uh, we got a lot of different cars, so we're just gonna kind of bounce around here, I guess. And do it. CX ninety is still fun to drive, it right? Is. I mean, amongst three row SUVs, at least I hope so. I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> so I was surprised by two things. Uh, well, one thing surprised me, and it was one of two things that really stood out. One is it's the steering. Like, it's I wouldn't say it's a cliche to say that oh, it's like the Mazda DNA is injected into the CX ninety. But it really drove and felt like it was heavy. It was real like Mazda steering. And then the question I asked myself was, do I really like this? You know, because when I drive a three row crossover, I don't want it to be a lot of work beyond the fact that you're driving something the size of, you know, the Queen Mary. You know, it's it's not supposed to be that engaging. It was even fairly well, like kind of tightly sprung, you know, like you could feel that in the suspension, if you will. The chassis was very very dialed in. I, I liked it inevitably. I did. I uh, put about, geez, how many miles? I put about a hundred miles on it. It's up for crossover utility of the year. Um, so it's, you know, there's that. 
And that's why it was in my driveway, which is great. I took it out to Ann Arbor from the northern suburbs all the way out to Ann Arbor. Went skating. I think we talked about this earlier uh, on campus at the University of Michigan. So it was kind of a fun day. Very like family three row crossover type of thing. We had to put the ice skates in the back. So it was functional and all that. But it did kind of have me thinking like as I was on, uh, let's see, I think I was on M14, like, eh, gotta, you know, this isn't like a, necessarily a one-hander drink your coffee. It's like you want to kind of be a little dialed in, relatively speaking. It's still like to act like this is a Miata, a Jeep Wrangler, um, an MC20, you know, like it was a challenging thing to drive is not what I'm saying here. But relatively speaking, to say like a Chevy Traverse, a GMC Acadia, a Honda Pilot, the list goes on. There's a little bit more going on there, uh, you know, a Subaru Ascent, et cetera. And obviously that's what they're going for. Uh, the second element I thought that really stood out is the design. I thought it was one of the better looking vehicles in the segment. Uh, I think it's kind of cool that they have uh, on the front quarter panel, they have uh, a badge that says, I think it says inline six, which is cool. You don't get that too much, um, frankly, in any car, let alone a badge that signifies that. I really liked the straight six as well. It's a really solid power plant. I'd like to see Mazda do it and use it in more vehicles. Um, it's ironic as we're seeing, you know, maybe the starting the tail end of, you know, ice, you know, internal combustion engines. Mazda's got a really good one. I would like to see this one used more, you know, even more widely. So, you know, there's that. I thought it had a lot of good. Um, it's 3.3 liters. It's a turbo. And it's 280 horsepower and 332 uh, pound-feet of torque. Um, hooked up to an eight-speed automatic. So those are kind of the basics. And I feel like it really had a nice sort of sweet spot. As low as like 2,500 in the band, right through 6,000. So uh, a lot to like about that motor. Um, and again, it's unexpected. You know, how many large three-row crossovers are just making do with like a, you know, inline four or a turbo four or something, you know, or just off the shelf V6. Nothing wrong with that. But this had a lot of character to it from the design to the engine to the chassis. Uh, inside was pretty nice and it had kind of like a light that like, you know, I don't know, Ikea kind of vibe, you know, with the uh, like the light wood, I would assume it's fake wood, some trim, that sort of thing. Very comfortable, uh, good seats. Uh, but overall, I liked it a lot. I really did. I think it's a, a different take. I think Mazda is being true to itself. They're not just trying to make another three-row crossover. They're trying to make like Mazda's three-row crossover. And to kind of put a fine point on this, that's not going to be for everybody, though. You know, some people are going to say, give me the Honda. That's more what I'm used to, more comfortable. I don't want to have to think this much while I'm driving. Um, that type of thing. Or they might, I like the styling. Not everybody will. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested when you get behind the wheel to hear your take on this thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds sounds like, uh, I don't know, a next generation CX-9 done a lot yeah. better. Uh, you know, just having a rear biased all-wheel drive mm -hmm. system, the inline six, like a lot of times with these three-wheel crossovers, I mean, everything is about, all right, how big is it? What's 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 the trunk space? What's the receipt space? And Mazda's like, well, 
we actually really care what the engine sounds like and what the mm -hmm. steering feel is uh, when when you're going fast through a corner, <laughs> which is which is all the beautiful stuff that that we love. And yeah. um, but also to your point, like how many buyers actually really do care about that? Um, I mean, if if you like cars and you need a three row SUV, it mm -hmm. sounds like the Mazda is still yeah. like hands down the way to go. Yeah, basically. this one I thought was a decent value too. Mine came in at just under fifty five thousand uh, dollars, and this is with the Turbo Premium Plus trim. Artisan Red Premium was the color, which looked great in white Napa leather inside. So, you classy know, spec, very classy, 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 worth every penny, I think. So, so yeah. So let's move on over to the uh, the seven series plug-in. We'll, we'll kind of throw that in here. And you spent some time on that. Did you drive this on the track? I assume this was at oh, Test Fest. Man, <laughs> I did drive it, but not on the track. Okay. <laughs> no, BMW didn't have any uh, seven series out on the track. This this this, this go around. But uh, no, this was uh, first try in the seven series plug-in hybrid. Prior to this, I'd driven the fully electric mm -hmm. i seven. Okay. Uh, so I had high expectations because I loved that car and uh, my high expectations were met, okay. honestly. So I think that this this new 7 Series plug-in hybrid has a really, really valid proposition for a lot of people. Just being a giant uh, luxury sedan, you know, one thing that a lot of people like to do with these cars is drive them long distances. Mm -hmm. So the fact that, you know, in addition to... Uh, an electric motor, a big battery that gets you about 34 miles of all-electric range. You also have an inline-six engine, uh, and a, not only an inline-six, but a BMW inline-six. We all know how much we love those engines. Uh, so even when you are out of electric range, you have this beautiful, nice, silky-sounding, uh, very powerful inline-six engine to motor you along. Uh, BMW says 0 to 60 in 4.6 seconds. Very much feels that way. Uh, this this thing is quick, uh, just about as quick as as the i7, honestly, um, which makes it both fun to drive, and when you're driving it in all electric mode, uh, the electric motor has enough power to actually you know get you up to speed quickly. Uh, the the only uh, small little bone to pick that uh, that I have with driving it in electric mode is that the electric motor is integrated with the transmission, so mm -hmm. you do feel the shifts um, now. Do you feel the shifts less than maybe you feel like when we had our long-term 330E? Yes, it's 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 certainly a lot more imperceptible. Now it's a lot smoother, uh, which is to be expected with with the 7 Series, but it is not that smooth, uninterrupted flow of power that you get with the electric i7. Um, everything else about this thing, you know, is is basically practically exactly the same as a normal 7 Series or the i7. Uh, you can get the theater screen, you can get sweet sweet interiors the one that i had was this uh, sort of maroon and cream and black combo on the inside which was just flat out beautiful uh that that combined with a matte gray exterior finish was uh man bmw can make the 7 series really stand out and look pretty when they want to um but uh no i mean i i think that this one really really makes a solid argument for being the 7 Series to buy if you know you're going to be doing a lot of long-distance trips um, and maybe your your commute is only, well, I guess under 30 miles. You can get a lot of, of fully electric driving out of this and then go and take your big trip from, say, Michigan to Boston or 
New York City all the way up to Maine or something like that. Um, and uh, the trunk isn't that compromised either. Uh, BMW did a pretty good job of integrating that battery back there uh, such that it's not, I mean, you still have all the luggage space in the world. Uh, one thing we're getting with a lot of newer generation plug-in hybrids, just better platform management. Um, and that's that's the case here. So, okay. um, and I guess I I should also mention, man, this thing handles well, just like every seven series seems to. Uh, I had it on the same road as um, the new five series, uh, even uh, an, an M4, like this thing holds its own. Uh, it is it is fun to drive. It's more fun to drive than an S-Class, um, more fun to drive than a Genesis G90. BMW makes their giant sedans fun. And yeah. uh, the plug-in hybrid is no exception. So yeah, love this thing. Yeah, I, I would agree with your statement about how they make their larger sedans a lot of fun to drive. I've had a great times in the 5 Series over multiple generations. The 7 Series, I did the launch of the last generation at uh, Monticello in New York, and it was really good on a track. I mean, was it some of the other track demons we've discussed? Of course not. But for what it is and how it you know was set up, you can definitely have some fun with that. You know, they design the hell out of these cars so that they're very capable of doing, um, you know, almost anything you want them to do, which I think is cool. And there's something else I think, I'm curious what you think. Um, in the last couple of years, we've seen Mercedes sedans, especially like the S-Class and then the electric version, divert from each other as far as styling. So you've sort of got the electrics and then you've got the traditional cars. And then the traditional cars have gotten ever more, um, you know, opulent. They're very, you know, everything about them. When people ask me, like, if you were to rate a luxury car, what's the best one? And inevitably, I almost always will pick like whatever size Mercedes, the segment they're searching for. Because when I sort of like metrically add it up, I feel like Mercedes are among the most, they are, they win on points, you know, like, like in figure skating or something, you know, they win the technical score. However, I would argue at this point, BMW, especially on the larger side of these things, is winning now more on the soul their cars are more soulful. I think, and it seems like their customers are liking it too. Because when you go for like, and I know you drove the plug-in, but say you wanted the i7, it still looks like a BMW. Whereas, you know, Mercedes is, you know, doing a very different tactic with its design, you know? So, and of course you've got this nice middle ground here with the, the plug-in uh, 7 series as well. So I don't know. I mean, I've, I mean, I've long also felt that I have had more emotion for BMWs. I think maybe that's why the M3 CS um, resonated pretty deeply with me. You know, really felt like the highest evolution, which it is, of the three series and the M3 right now. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just to me, it feels like BMW has kind of pulled ahead a little bit of Mercedes, just in that intangible. Their cars have soul. So, did you get that? Do you think I'm totally crazy? No, what do you think? I, I honestly, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, BMWs, for I don't know, a few, few, maybe even like three to five years at this point, I've honestly preferred them to the BM to the Mercedes equivalent. Uh, and I, I'm definitely preferring their, their EVs to the Mercedes equivalents at this point, too. They're I think the interiors are nicer. They're they're slightly nicer quality. 
I like the tech in them better. They're, it's just easier to use, more, more intuitive. I think their cars are generally more fun to drive than the Mercedes equivalent. It's not like they're giving up anything in the ride department either. Uh, you're still getting a super luxurious experience. Uh, and obviously design is very subjective, but I'm, I mean, I think that us two are probably the two on, on staff here at our blog that like BMW's designs, like pretty much most of them that they yeah. have out with. Um, so yeah, like I, I really think that we're on the same wavelength here and that like, if I'm, if I'm choosing between a seven series and an S class, I'm going to take the seven series. If I'm choosing between the new C class and a three series, uh, mark me down for the three series. And it, it just sort of goes all the way up and down the line. Um, you know, the, the, the one places where, where I might give Mercedes an edge is, you know, when we're looking at the ultra luxe category. So like a Maybach, uh, say versus, uh, an Alpina. I'm going to probably take the Maybach uh, over over the Alpina or just whatever the highest luxury BMW is. Yeah. I, I, I would still, I still think the Mercedes does that, like, you know, verging on Bentley mm -hmm. to Rolls level luxury, yeah. just all out luxury better than BMW does. Um, but that's like the only area <laughs> yeah. where I'm, I mean, and it's, it's sort of one A, one B BMW two Mercedes, but, I, I I tend to like BMWs more than Mercedes these days. Well, so. I would agree with you too, though, on the Maybach sort of winning at that very high end because they Mercedes does an excellent job of just, you know, like I said, winning on points, loading the cars up stem to stern uh, with everything in the most, you know, elegant, at times decadent fashion, whereas BMW will counter with Alpina in some areas. And I don't think that's even exactly what Alpina is trying to be, you know? It's, they're not that, you know, chocolate cake, uh, you know, luxury, if you will. They, they try to weave in a little more motorsports. They admittedly kind of bring a different take to the car, which some people might not even like. You just want the standard, you know, issue BMW version. So, yeah. All right. So let's move on to the uh, Alfa Romeo Stelvio. This is what I drove um, for... Uh, better part of last week. Um, and honestly, a lot of comparisons to the CX-90. Uh, I kept kind of asking myself, do I want like the Julia as a crossover? Because to me, that's exactly what this sort of felt like. Do I want, you know, these specific type of, you know, very Alfa Romeo Italian looks? Answer is yes on that front. Do I want that kind of steering really dialed in, suspension uh that again this is a little bit harsher a little bit more work to drive uh, again i wasn't quite sure about that i don't know if i'm getting old and i just want these cushy crossovers or i want just you know like a yukon battle tank one i and there's nothing else in between but that was kind of a you know it was definitely a question i kept asking myself but the driving dynamics are great uh as far as that um even to the point of, like I said, being a little bit, a little bit harsh, um, you know, and if you're going to buy this car, it's, I think it does start with the design. You've got those headlights, you've got like the signature, even the badges with the snake on them and the cross, uh, those big wheels, the headlights kind of pop. It's, you know, it's definitely something that looks different than a Mercedes or a BMW or an Audi or a Lexus. It, 
you know, you buy this car because you want an Alfa Romeo and you need a you need a crossover, basically. Uh, this one came in and it started at 58. I thought that was actually a pretty good deal. You know, you get a luxury crossover. Is it huge? No. But is it still pretty reasonably equipped? Nice crossover. It definitely affects the feel of a luxury uh, demeanor. So, uh, you know, you get a lot, you know, in that sense. Uh, two liter inline four. I thought it was fine, just a little bit underwhelming. You know, the shifts were at times could be a little bit uneven. Um, so it goes, I guess, you know, it's not like, you know, I was tracking it like, you know, the earlier theme of this podcast. And the way I kind of like landed here is, you know, this is much like the Mazda. This is the right car for you if you love Alfa Romeo and you're thinking of maybe saying, uh, do I want the Julia? Maybe you also kind of look at the Tonale a little bit, but you land on this one because you still get a lot of that Alfa Romeo DNA, but, uh, you know, again, you're like, I need a crossover. And say you, uh, you know, this is how you want to spend your money. It will stand out uh, as opposed to like the more generic, you know, GLCs, GLEs, you know, X3, X5, which can be very ubiquitous. So this this gives you that kind of character and people are like, oh, is that an Alfa? That's kind of cool. So uh, I definitely like that. Cliched, I something went weird with the infotainment. Like, I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, like literally it just didn't turn on for a minute. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and then it had another weird kind of gremlin thing that I thought was just like, you gotta be kidding me, but nothing that lingered or caused any true mechanical issues. But I was just like, this is such a cliche. I'm driving an alpha and a couple of weird things happen. It's just like we were driving in a Jaguar, you know, and you're almost like very attuned to it. So, yeah, that's that's the Alpha. Um, the Alpha quirks and features. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I really like the Stelvio. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mostly like driving the Stelvio, just because you know it is. It feels like the most pure driver's car of all of the compact SUVs. That way, I am interested to try out the Tonale mm -hmm. to see. You know, I mean, honestly, they're very similar sizes. Um, and even similar prices in, uh, when you're looking at some trim levels. So Alpha definitely has a bit of a conundrum mm -hmm. uh, on their hands, just with two very similar sized crossovers. But I, it's it's going to be hard to beat that Stelvio. Just I mean, it's it's on that that very uh, single minded platform, mm -hmm. rear wheel drive based. Uh, and you know, I I know you you mentioned that engine. It is. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a great engine. It is, it is powerful, but you know, it's not necessarily the best of sounds and a little growly and just want something a little more with, with a little more Italian flair. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I do, I do really like that Stelvio and I'm glad they're still like making small updates and small iterations on it um, yeah. for however much longer it is with us. I know that whatever comes after it will be electric. Yeah, uh, that's true. As much. So Enjoy our last few years with it. Yeah, no, that's true. And I mean, to your point about the platform, I mean, it is more dynamic, more dialed in than say the Hornet slash Tenale. Um, you know, there, there's no comparison as far as the handling and, you know, actual sporty character of it. So, I mean, that alone might make you say, hey, I, I prefer that, uh, which is no surprise uh, given, you know, what each platform is used for, I suppose.
All right. So if you're listening to this, the LA Auto Show is already wrapped up, actually. Press days are Thursday. We're recording this um, like right during the week. So we will come back probably next week with a little bit more from the show. But we wanted to highlight a couple of key reveals right now that we've, you know, we know a fair bit about. And, um, you know, so let's just get right into it. The Camry. That's yeah. a big deal. Uh, hybrid, all-wheel drive, some key features that a lot of people will want. Uh, I think it's Toyota is still obviously going heavy into sedans. Uh, you know, our news editor, Joel Stocksdale, had the story. He's out there. He's actually driving the Toyota Tacoma. So we'll have more on that coming up, which I think you'll be very interested in. Um, but yeah, I mean, styling's pretty evolutionary. They kept that huge grill, tweaked the headlights. Um, I think it's interesting to go fully hybrid. Uh, you know, yeah. that's that's a different take. Yeah, it's uh, it, it feels very much like a, a heavy refresh mm -hmm. more than like a total redesign, mm -hmm. like new front end, new rear yeah. end, uh, new screens inside. And then, I mean, I, I think that just as notable as, as, as what they added is uh, what isn't there mm -hmm. now is uh, no V6. So, you know, just like Honda dropped that very nice two liter turbo in the Accord for their new generation, uh, Toyota dropped their uh, powerful engine. So, I mean, you, you go from the most powerful Camry having over 300 horsepower to now it has 232 horsepower. Obviously, uh, from an enthusiast standpoint, that's a little sad. And then possibly even more sad from an enthusiast standpoint, uh, at least at launch, there's no TRD version of the Camry, which Maybe you forgot about that car. I, I wouldn't necessarily blame you if you did, but Toyota has been making that Camry TRD uh, since they, they launched it a few yeah. years ago. I mean, you've been able to get a Camry with 300 horsepower, a wing, big brakes, yeah. stiff suspension, and like what else is out there that is sort of like that? So that being gone, at least for the 2025 model year, uh, is definitely a little sad for me. Uh, and I mean, I, I think that there's, there's still a possibility for them to do something out there, but you know, they, they, they really just right now, the XSE with the slightly stiffer suspension than the XLE and LE and other trims is still out there. Um, but it's certainly no Camry TRD. Um, but, uh, I mean, what, what they do have out there, I think is, uh, is probably smart of them to do just just to go all all hybrid with with the regular ones um i mean this is probably like one of the most popular uber cars out there um not to call the camry out for that but great fuel economy is key uh and i mean as as we're looking at hybrid i don't know about you but the new front end certainly reminds me of the prius uh as as i'm looking at it here uh, the front LEDs, the horizontal grille slats, uh, the way the hood sort of bends down into the bumper. Uh, it really, really reminds me of, of, of the Prius design, which not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. Uh, I like the way the Prius looks. Uh, so to see its face applied across, across the board here to a Camry, uh, not necessarily complaining about it. Yeah, I agree completely. When I looked at it, my first thought was, hmm. Larger Prius, which is a good thing. Um, TRD is, I got to believe the take rate was fairly low on those. I have good oh, memories yeah. of driving <laughs> that car. It was fun, you know, and I remember it was in the fleet. Uh, this is going back right at the start of COVID, as in like 
spring of 2020. I remember that kind of came through and there wasn't much to do. So I was like, yeah, let's drive this TRD Camry all over. And um, so it kind of got seared into my memory. It had a bright red interior. It was pretty low to the ground, really big interior. I remember my kid was like wandering around it basically, <laughs> which I mean, that's the Camry. But um, yeah, it, kind of a niche play. Let's put it that way. I don't think too many people will miss it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's definitely a situation where they want to, um, you know, continue to invest in sedans, Toyota, you know, right down from Akio, Toyota, all the way down, have been very bullish on hybrids. So, um, you know, pretty much an as expected strategy here, I guess. I, yep. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's like the same as like a RAV4 hybrid and whatnot sort of powertrain. Um, and I, I, I think that one one item to note as well is just sort of finding separation between this and the crown, um, mm -hmm. just because this and the crown are very similar sizes, honestly. However, the crown is a good bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. It's I, I feel like it's going to be a little confusing for folks on, yeah. on a lot. Uh, I mean, just because it's like two midsize sedans. Both of them hybrids, like the Crown's a hybrid too. Um, the one thing that, that, that the Crown really does have going for it is that you can get that hybrid max powertrain uh, with 340 horsepower, uh, which is which is pretty sweet. Um, but I I just have a feeling that there's there's going to be some some overlap and maybe a little bit of confusion uh, now that the Camry is fully hybrid and just I mean maybe it's just a design thing. You know, do you want this? like semi half looking lifted crown with two-tone paint or do you want the more sedate and uh just simpler camry yeah it's interesting too because the way they kind of are positioning the crown itself which is a little bit of a tweener as far as a body style for what what it could be i believe i may be wrong on this it was up for utility vehicle of the year uh in the north american car truck and utility uh vehicle of the year awards it was so much easier when it was just north american car of the year you know um so it that's a bit of a tweener intentionally so trying to hit that you know part of the market that maybe wants something that's pretty drivable but also thinks they want a crossover you know which is what everybody thinks they want i guess um so i mean we'll see i mean i think if they could probably, the thing is they have the Camry, which has such a strong name. They, I think it's crazy not to continue to invest in it. But then you have the Crown, which you could argue is more of the moment, you know, especially something like the Crown Signia. That's not Insignia, that's Signia, <laughs> if you will. It does, that's another one that doesn't quite roll off the tongue, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a two-row hybrid. Um, it definitely looks more like crossovery than the crown itself does let's put it that way uh it looks pretty good to be honest i think this one you know i dare say this is probably what the people want the most of the three vehicles we've just touched on here so yes. how do you feel about this uh yeah i 100 percent agree like i mean bring a nice suv hybrid uh to the to the uh, forefront here uh i there's no doubt that people will want this probably more than a camry yeah. or a uh a crown just the normal crown this is the crown signia uh, the signia is the suv that's make it easy to remember that way yeah um 
But uh, no, I mean, this is this is cool. This is this is once again a hybrid only. Uh, my sort of biggest disappointment is just it just doesn't have the hybrid max powertrain that you can get in the regular Crown sedan, um, which is a little confusing. Just I, I presume, all right, if you're going to call it the Crown, we're going to have the similar powertrains as the other Crown, but that is not the case here. Regardless of that, though, this is definitely, you know, a Toyota that reaches toward the Lexus side of things. So, you know, you can look at this or maybe like a Lexus NX or uh, if you're looking a little bigger, maybe a Lexus RX. Uh, but this is still a two row. Um, so certainly a lot more luxurious than a RAV4 if if you're looking at a RAV4 hybrid. It's it's a neat looking thing. It's not blowing me away in any particular uh, fashion, but, uh, you know, crossover hungry market. Toyota brings another hybrid crossover as a slightly larger alternative to RAV4, slightly smaller than Highlander. Uh, probably not a bad idea. Um, just keep on pumping them out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how like thin Toyota is sort of slicing the onion at this point with, you know, the other crossovers you mentioned. Um, you know, we'll see. It reminds me a little bit. This is a little, I don't know, side note. When Buick brought back the Regal like wagon variants and we were all kind of like, well, these are cool. They're crossover like, um, you know, and of course the Crown Signia is more crossovery than the Regals were, which were like cars and station wagons, but it's sort of the same idea. Like, okay, they're trying to also go after this market when you have GMC that makes all these other crossovers and Buick that makes all these other crossovers. So, um, Maybe it'll be, um, maybe, I would assume this thing's going to sell, though. It, it definitely looks, it looks the part. Uh, it's well-equipped. Um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be intrigued my, to drive it. My question is if they're going to offer the, the same two-tone paint options as the Crown Sedan. Because, mm. uh, I mean, those are cool. Like, yeah. you can get, like, black and gold, red and black. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there, there's some really neat options out there that you can get on the Crown Sedan. Uh, and on a car that we're probably going to see more of, it would just be neat to see that customization option yeah. for, for folks. If that's, I mean, if that's really going to be one of the ways that Toyota differentiates the, the crown line, uh, I would love to see more of that, you know, gives, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it looks like a Maybach, but I mean, oh, wow. what other cars offer the two tone paint options you're looking at, like a Mercedes Maybach, BMW seven series. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not a lot. Um, so just a neat little thing that Toyota's doing. You're really dropping the Maybach references in this podcast, like yeah, not not by meaning to. I didn't prepare for that. I'm just for whatever reason, Mercedes Maybach. We we'll just right. keep talking about it. <laughs> well, we keep talking about the uh, the Hyundai news for LA as well. I know you wrote this one up and you're read into it. So let's let's close out the news segment and the LA segment with this. Yes, indeed. Uh, Hyundai has some some smaller news items for us. They're not totally new cars like Toyota has, but uh, there's a new trim for the Santa Fe, um, which is the XRT trim. So that adds a few little off-road niceties. If you guys are familiar with what XRT uh, means for Hyundai, it basically means it's a ruggedized version of whatever it is. So they have Santa Cruz, uh, Tucson, um, and a uh, well, pretty much all of their crossovers at this point now, including the Santa Fe, uh, have an XRT trim. So what this one is, they throw some some 30-inch all-terrain tires on there, some off-road looking wheels, 
Uh, it gives it an inch and a half greater ground clearance and a whole lot of appearance extras too that make it look a good bit more rugged than just a regular Santa Fe. Uh, and it honestly looks pretty cool, I think, on this new Santa Fe just because the new one is very boxy and off-road looking. Uh, so it, uh, I think it just sort of fits right in with the theme of, uh, of what Hyundai is doing with that vehicle. And it's obviously no Bronco, no Land Rover Defender or anything like that, but just the fact that, you know, all right, say you're going to buy the Santa Fe, you might tow something to a trailer or something like that. You need to get back there. Boom. You've got all wheel drive and you got some all terrain tires that, uh, if it rained the night previously or something like that, are not going to get bogged down on whenever muddy ruts you might find yourself in. So small capability, not a lot of capability, uh, but still, still nice for somebody that, uh, that might frequent national parks or state parks and whatnot. Uh, the other bit of news from Hyundai was the uh, the U.S. reveal of the Ionic 5N. Yeah. Uh, similar to the Santa Fe, pretty short on news. Uh, we we saw this at Goodwood earlier in the year where Hyundai practically revealed everything about it. Uh, but Hyundai did finalize some specs for us. Uh, I mean, it's it's still mind-boggling. 641 horsepower, 0 to 60 in 3.25 seconds, which round up to 3.3. Um yeah, man, that's a that's a fast, fast Hyundai, isn't it? Um, top speed of 162 miles per hour. Hyundai. That the one thing that we're we're sort of missing from this news is range. Uh, this is I, obviously this is not the EV6 GT, uh, but we're looking at similar power numbers and whatnot to that vehicle. And range was the one hit that that car took. Uh, it's down to about 212 miles of range. Um, and the Ionic Five, I presume, will take a similar hit. So expect the range number to come in a little lower than the normal Ionics, which are in the 250 to 300 mile range. Uh, and the last, the last thing that they have for us is just a, an actual release date. So, I mean, we can expect to see these things in March uh, next year. So that's super cool to see uh, that the Ionic 5N is, you know, it's, it's a thing, it's, it's happening and it's happening next spring. So. And uh, yeah, that and, and that's that's pretty much it for for uh, Hyundai at at the LA Auto Show. So, Santa Fe and Ionic Five M, um, two really really cool looking cars with uh, with a small amount of news attached to them. So, if you're in LA uh, for 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 the public days, I would definitely get down to go check these things out. Um, I haven't even seen the Ionic Five M in person, yeah. but having looked at all of the photos, the details. Man, this is this is a sweet, sweet looking car. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to have a lot of, a lot of hand raisers for it once once ordering comes around. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely for the enthusiast crowd. You know those specs you listed off. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people can get on board with that, without a doubt, without a doubt. Cool. Uh, we haven't done too many uh, beer segments, if you will, lately. So I don't know if you have any recommendations. I had a Guinness. I feel like it's that time of year, drink sort of like the, I wouldn't call it a heavy beer. I feel like a Guinness is kind of velvety and light on its feet, as the ads say with Joe Montana, believe it or not, the old 49ers quarterback. Uh, so I had one of those the other day, and I thought it was really, really solid. It's November. I don't know. Felt right. Watch a little bit of football, had a, had a Guinness. Uh, I was watching Michigan State play Ohio State, so I definitely wanted something heavier than a Bud Light. 
So yeah, yeah, um, you probably needed something for that one. <laughs> yeah, the Guinness, the Guinness was you know you got to bring in something a little bit, a little bit uh, with some more gravitas. But what's what's in your fridge these days? Oh man, uh, I've actually been on the gin and tonic grind there you as go. of late. Um, so I uh, I got this this Empress gin, which is this it's it's a pretty cool gin actually. Um, I mean, unlike most gins that are pretty much clear, uh, this one is uh, a purpley indigo i would say sounds good um yeah it's 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 really good um they uh and it's it's extra cool when you mix it with the gin and tonic uh too because it it's it's a color shifting gin uh so if if you're into uh you know taking a cool video or something and or photo while while you're pouring your gin and tonic this is definitely one of them uh and on top of that it tastes really good uh, and it's man, it's it's not it's not super expensive either. It's only about forty dollars uh, for just uh, f- for a bottle of it, which is just solid. You know, not 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 the cheapest gin out there, also not the most expensive, uh, but it makes really really great gin and tonics. And I think that it it looks it looks pretty neat while while you're pouring them too. Yeah, I like a good gin and tonic. When I was uh, traveling more, I I thought they were. Great airport drinks, you know, get in, take the edge off, maybe have one when you're, you know, before or after takeoff, you know, kind of relax, but they're not too, like, you're not going to really wake up with a headache, especially with what sounds like the kind of gin you're quaffing. So <laughs> good auto show drinks too. I, uh, I remember being at the New York auto show and this wasn't that long ago. It's not like I'm, you know, remembering 1962 because I wasn't around then. But somebody was serving gin. And I was like, yeah, I have some appetizers, gin and tonic. Well, you kind of wait for wait out the the final, you know, minutes of the press day and then go back to your, you know, dinner with, you know, the executives or whatever reveal was going on that night. So good call. Well-rounded. I like it. Gin and tonic. You drink it in the summer, drink it in the fall. It's good times. It's always tasty. There we go. That's all the time we have this week. If you enjoy the show, please uh, like and subscribe us and give us five-star ratings wherever you get your podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're basically everywhere. Again, spend your money. We'd like to do that. That's podcast at autoblog.com. Have another gin and tonic or a Guinness. Be safe out there, of course. We'll see you next week.